But your Swedish is very good. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, for non-Swedish person um, who doesn't speak Swedish very well, I take it as a compliment. I speak Swedish very well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, I perform in Swedish. Have you performed in Swedish? Um, no. No, okay, Yeah, but uh, I haven't heard you ever perform in Swedish. So. Uh, so you should pay attention to my YouTube channel. Subscribe. Yeah, I don't have as much time. But uh, sure, yeah. Some, someday I will check it out. Yeah. That's a good excuse. Hello and welcome to Deus Ex Comedian. My name is Ryan Bussell. I'll be your host. I am an American living in Sweden since 2006 and a comic since 2011. On this podcast, I'll be talking to comics who have retired uh, or they're taking a long break or they simply quit the grind and they're happy to perform just a handful of times per year. So what made them slow down or even stop performing altogether? Is there anything about the grind that they miss? Most importantly, without approval from drunk strangers, how instead do they fill that dark hole inside where a soul should be? Let's find out. Hello, welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm joined by cafe owner, aspiring author, and occasional comic, Elena Gavitz. Hi, Ryan. Nice to see you again. Good to see you, as always. Uh, this episode will be a little different uh, because this is actually the second time we sat down to record it uh, for reasons I'll explain it later. So in this episode, what's going to happen is uh, we're going to cut away now and go to the original footage. We're going to come back and talk some more. So it'll be a little, it'll be a bit different format. So please enjoy the original footage. Thank you for having me at your place. Yeah, thank you for letting me be interviewed. Of course. We've known each other for quite a while. Uh, yeah, well, with Corona and everything, and you've been laying quite low in uh, whatever you live, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> wherever I live. In, not even in Stockholm. So, yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. If it's not Stockholm, it doesn't count. It doesn't exist. Ah, uh, exactly. Yes. yes. Finally, you're catching up. I love that you're like your typical Stockholm person, even though you're not from here, but you're still see the world through Stockholm's eyes. No, I'm just a city person. So for me, anything that's not the city is not the city. So. <laughs> <laughs> but how long have you been in, because you've been, you're, you're Russian, but you lived in America. In Italy. In Italy. And now in Sweden, 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. yeah. It's longer than you still, right? Or no, I moved here in 2006. I moved here in 2008. So which not, makes it. Not longer than me. That's less. Less. Two yes. years less. Yes. Yeah. But your Swedish is very good. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, for non-Swedish person um, who doesn't speak Swedish very well, I take it as a compliment. I speak Swedish very well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, I perform in Swedish. Have you performed in Swedish? Um, no. No, okay, there you go. Yeah, but uh, I haven't heard you ever performing in Swedish, so. It's oh, a shame you should pay attention to my YouTube channel. Just subscribe. Yeah, I don't have as much time, as, <laughs> but uh, sure, <laughs> yeah. Some, someday That's I will check it out. Yeah. That's a good excuse. But it's nice. It's nice to be here. I, I just ate food at your cafe, which was very nice. Thank yeah, you for I have a Russian cafe downstairs, so anybody is welcome to have Russian food there. Since I don't do comedy, and that's the reason Ryan is here. Correct, and that's Cafe Eurobar in Stockholm. Cafe Eurobar in Stockholm. Correct. And how how long have you been running that now? Three years. Is it three years. Wow. Yeah, time flies. It does. But you've stayed busy though, still throughout the whole Corona. Yeah, 
because we are the only ones in Sweden offering Russian food and uh, no food passes better with Swedish that's food big, than Russian that's big, food. It's <laughs> a big claim, the only restaurant offering Russian food in the entire country. Yeah, but it's actually huh? true because trust me, I checked out my competition and apparently there is none. Um, okay. And uh, people told me that throughout the years, there, are, there were many Russian restaurants in Stockholm, but apparently all of them shut down within three years. So we're actually holding on more than other places that's been in our place. Nice, you beat the curse so far. No, so people far. told me it's because Russian food is not popular, but I think I can change that. So yeah, so far we've been doing quite well. So hopefully it will continue. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, now, as you said, I'm here because you have not been performing very much, but you're, you're not, like, you wouldn't say you're, you're not an ex-comic and you're not really taking a break either. You're just sort of... I'm performing a lot less than I used to, yes. I mean, if we're not taking Corona into account, since nobody's performing this year anyway, but uh, even before Corona, I was performing maybe once every month. And when I started, then I was performing five, six times a week. So there is a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. What drew you to comedy? Like, how, how long were you active? Like, like active, active? Mm, six years, I six would years, say. Okay. Yeah. Six, six and a half years, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if we take away Corona, then six years. Because this year, I don't think counted. It really shouldn't. No, no. I'm about to celebrate 10 years. I'm not quite sure I can really say I'm celebrating 10 years when I have One nine. year was yeah, just a blank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if we say with Corona, then it's seven years. Without Corona, it's six years. Okay. And what drew you to stand in the first place? Well, it was complete accident because I never even watched comedy. But then um, I was working at um, SAB Bank and the colleague of mine got a um, certificate for Christmas or a gift certificate for Christmas for a stand-up course. I think it was with Amy, actually. I'm not sure. Anyway, so she took the course and then she invited me and some other colleagues to the last um, lesson when they had to do the show in front of the audience. So I watched her and that was for the first time I was like, wow, this is really cool um, to do stand-up comedy. When she was standing on stage, she was telling jokes and I was like, but I'm funny, I can do that <laughs> as well. And the funny thing is that this girl never did stand up after the course because she thought it was horrible to stand on stage. Okay. But uh, then she still um, came to my shows and she insisted that she should have at least 10% commission on all my shows since she was the inspiration. <laughs> That'd be 10% uh, of nothing. Then. Yeah, but as you know, comedy pays nothing. So I said she's welcome to 10% of nothing. <laughs> but yeah, that was complete accident. So she tried it once. She didn't like it. I tried it once. I loved it and I became hooked. So yeah. And how did you get how did you get your first gig? Well, at the time I was living just across the street from Big Ben. So when this girl tried, um, <clears throat> when I saw this girl performing and I decided I should do it myself, I started looking stand up comedy in English since my Swedish at the time was pretty much non-existing. And then um, I was like, yeah, Big Ben and I live just across the street. So I came down to Big Ben a few times to watch the comics and um, so you, Ryan, I saw Brian, some other comics, and no offense, but I thought, oh, I can do at least as good as these guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Yemi was the conferencier then, so then I came up to him and said, hey, I want to perform here. And he just like, uh, he made me feel so, I don't know, stupid for thinking something like this. It's like, have you ever been on stage? I'm like, no, never. Have you done theater? So no. 
why do you want to do this? Why do you think you can do it? And I was like, well, screw you. I'm going to show that I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, yeah, essentially, I think it was good because uh, I was so eager to prove to Yemi that I can do this, that I wasn't even nervous first time I performed. I just wanted to show this guy that, you know, I'm capable. So yeah, Yemi gave me three minutes and that was my first gig at Big Ben. So I asked him for the time for time to perform after I've seen shows there maybe like five, ten times. I just since I lived across the street, I just came down every day and watched shows. Hmm. So you felt like you you felt it went well your first time on stage? Yeah, uh, you remember my first gig well because you said I was very obnoxious. Yes, but, um, uh, I am going to tell an alternate version of your sorry, first time on stage, but yes, yeah, so I was curious how you felt it went. No, I felt fantastic because uh, I didn't expect that it would go that well. Um, because also what I didn't realize, but then they obviously announced that this is the first time for somebody's performing and uh, the audience is super supportive for, this, for somebody who tried it for the first time, so they were super supportive. But still, like they laughed at every line, even like lines I didn't know that they would laugh. And then it felt like, oh my God, I'm a genius and this feels fantastic. And this is like the best <laughs> I felt in my life. So I wasn't cloud nine after the show. I felt this is like the best thing ever and nothing feels as good as doing stand up. Hmm. So I would like to tell the alternate version of, uh, of your debut. Yes, on stage, please. I, yeah. there. I heard it, yeah. but other people should <laughs> okay, hear it yeah. as well. <laughs> So, so back in the day, as you know, uh, at Big Ben, uh, all the comics who were waiting to go on stage would be at the, at the back of the room. And, uh, and Big Ben has never been known for a great sound system. This is how it is. It's a great club, but the sound system is not the best. Uh, you went on stage. I've never seen it before. Uh, I knew that you were new. Uh, you were holding the microphone somewhere down around your navel. Yes. Uh, yeah. So people at the very front of the room, like towards the stage, actually could hear what you were saying. Uh, all of us at the back of the room had no idea. Uh, no, we couldn't hear a word uh, you were saying. But people in the front of the room seemed to be having a good time. Uh, and then you you left the stage. You, you were done. And I could see that you were happy. You, you came about halfway back into the room. The next comic was already on stage. Uh, you were immediately surrounded by, by friends or colleagues or whatever that, that were there who were all loudly congratulating you on your, on your debut. And you were very loudly thanking them and talking about it. While the next comic was already mid-act, uh, the host. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed. I had such bad manners. <laughs> oh, yes. it gets better because the host, the host came over to tell you guys to shut the hell up uh, and show some respect, uh, which you did not do. Uh, instead, you quite loudly told insisted to Yemi that the next time you get booked and you should be booked next time, you deserve more time because you were so good. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And and the fact that you and I are friends today uh, says. A lot about you as a person that you actually you, you overcame a lot <laughs> for, oh, for me <laughs> i mean i didn't see you during your first gig because that was before my time but uh, uh it certainly did not go like that but but it didn't go as well for you then <laughs> or <laughs> you see you laughing so i have a point <laughs> yeah because the feeling when it goes well and it's something you never tried before this is just yeah this was amazing but uh to my credit i never acted obnoxious at my other gigs it was only the first time because i was yeah. so yeah surprised by the reactions but you stuck with it though and you were very active for quite a while yeah like i said after the first time i tried it it just felt so right like i felt like uh, because i never really had hobbies i only had office jobs and then when i tried stand-up i tried other things but nothing really stuck and never felt uh, like this is my thing 
but from the first time I tried stand-up I felt like this is my thing I'm I love doing it people like what I do so and it just feels natural for me to be on stage to tell jokes so I really felt like this is my thing mm. so I was super active because um, I wanted to be better at it so then I took any gig I could get and then if you remember then I also traveled a lot all over Sweden like any shitty club doesn't matter where it is like in some town that you could never find on the map with the <laughs> <laughs> where they would have uh, only one pub in the whole town and this is pub, this is was the pub where we did stand up and everybody was piss drunk uh, after one hour I was still doing this shitty gigs because I really wanted to be better at it mm. So then I performed uh, five, six times a week everywhere in Stockholm, outside of Stockholm, and just yeah, performed, performed, performed to get better. What you, so you want to be better, but like, what else motivated you? Like, what like, what was the appeal for you of doing it? Um, because uh, the first time I tried stand up, I didn't know anything about it. It was pure intuition. So then, but then after the second gig that didn't go so well, then I realized that it's actually not so much intuition as there is a whole science to stand up and then as i was reading stand up uh, learning how to do it how to say it i was watching other comics then i felt like with each gig um i was learning something whether from my own gig or from watching other comics perform so i felt like every gig gave me something to be better at it hmm. and uh, since i'm a perfectionist i want to do everything as good as possible so then i wanted to be as good as i could be well, you, call, you also refer to it as as a hobby, mm -hmm. and this this one thing I find very interesting when I, when I talk to comics who refer, it's very often that the comic will refer to stamp as well. It's a hobby, a hobby meaning it's something you want to do for fun, but you still also have that drive of like you want to be better and you want to go more places and things. So, so it's it's hard to describe it as being a hobby because it's not something that you just do for fun. You you have you have that drive to still improve like you, you, you could just i'm explaining badly but i mean no, i know what you mean yeah and you have a point because um i mean i guess also depends how you take a hobby because i guess for you by definition you don't have to take hobby seriously but some people are extremely serious about their hobbies uh, sometimes more serious than about their daytime jobs for me, hobby just means something that doesn't pay your bills, that uh, you can do more or less, it's up to you, so there's no obligations really, mm. but um, it doesn't mean that it's less serious, it's just something that, you know, doesn't provide income and that doesn't have like a fixed schedule. And so I know for you, just do, just doing it is not enough because I mean, you have written jokes that you know work, so you could easily have an eight minute set that you just do hmm. every time. And for the audience, you know, 99% of the audience has never seen you before. It's going to be brand new to them. But that wasn't enough for you though, because you, you get you get tired of your material. You'd want to do new stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, you probably feel the same. You have material that works, but then it's extremely boring for you to say this material 100 times, 200 times, because then you feel like there is no passion in it anymore. And the reason I did stand up, the reason you did stand up, because we have a passion for it. So you don't want to turn into a robot uh, that says the same lines over and over. You actually want to say something new. And so, yeah, of course, it's more fun to try new jokes. But I cannot say I've been very good at it lately. And that's the reason I started <laughs> doing less. Because if you don't have new material, then it's less fun to be on stage. Yeah, I think the, the audience can obviously tell if you're not enjoying it. 
Yeah, exactly. But also for you, like since, um, like I said, there is no obligation to do it. We do it because we want to. So then what's the reason for me to go there and do and say the same set for 150th time without getting paid? Like I know this jokes work. So mm. then what's the point of saying it? I'm not going to get paid for it. So there is really no motivation. <laughs> At one point did you, cause, so you were very active for, for quite a while and then you stopped being very active. I mean, yeah, I still continued. I just stopped being as active as I was. Yeah. What motivated that? Uh, the main reason was actually the cafe. Uh, since uh, I opened the Russian cafe that we talked about and uh, I'm the one who's cooking the food, doing the PR, bringing new customers, serving people. And uh, it's open six days a week now. It was open seven days a week when I started it. Okay. So essentially that meant that I have no free time whatsoever. So, and then um, the good thing with stand-up, since the shows start late, so theoretically I could still make it to most of the shows after the cafe closed, but then I was dead tired most mm. of the time. And also I had a lot, a lot less time to write new jokes. So essentially once I opened the cafe, I became less active in stand-up. So that's probably the main reason. Did you feel, though, even if you didn't have the energy or the time, did you feel just as passionate for stand-up as you, as you had before you stopped? Um, well, yes and no, because um, I still felt very passionate about stand-up, but um, after I've been doing it for four years, um, at the beginning there's always some goal that you can reach. Like, uh, now I have five uh, A jokes, uh, five minutes A jokes that I can say, I need to have 10 minutes set, 30 minutes set. I want to be uh, the second headliner. I want to be the headliner. Mm. I want to do raw, I want to do a sleeper. But once you check all these boxes, then it's a bit less motivation to perform, I would say, because you've reached all the goals that you set for yourself. And then the next stage, um, either you're a professional comic or you stay at the same level. And for me, I, um, I try to be a very um, rational person, like I know what I'm good at, I know what I'm not good at, and then I realized I'm good enough to perform, I can be a headliner, I can perform at the best clubs in Stockholm, I did that, but I'm not good enough to be a uh, stand-up full-time, I don't have that much talent. So then um, it's not like I became less serious about stand-up, but I decided that um, I reached the maximum level for me that I can reach in Sweden and now I can put all my energy into the cafe because that's the business that needs my energy more than stand-up. So it was like that. I think without the cafe maybe I would continue to perform just as often because I had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. But now since I had less free time and I had to choose then I decided to spend time in the cafe rather than stand-up. The whole idea of the, uh, I've been to Raw so that's done. Mm. And now that there's nothing left, wouldn't there be some merit in becoming like a regular at Raw? Like you, you can't perform any higher than that, but you, you're actually just going several times. Um, could be, but then uh, after I performed there for the first time, then uh, Morton decided that English comics um, are not as um, profitable as Swedish comics. You probably had the same conversation. Yes, or... I read the same. Yeah. Yeah, so it's also coincided with the time when he said, I don't want to bring English comics, they're just not money-making. And that's also another limitation of being an English comic in Sweden. Um, you can perform, but you have a bit less options than Swedish comics. Uh, so then also, like, yeah, I performed once, 
I will probably get a chance to perform there again once he opens up to international comedy, but at this point he's not, so then nothing else for me to do. Did you ever have an idea to perform in Swedish to try? Um, I really didn't want to because, again, uh, if I wanted to be a, a professional stand-up comic, meaning that this is the only thing I do, then I would definitely perform in Swedish. But since I realized that even though I try to write new jokes, I'm just not as talented as to come up with own shows like big comics do all the time, I don't have that much imagination or that much talent. Mm. So then there was no point really uh, translating my jokes into Swedish because, it, again, I won't be a professional comic, so, yeah. Okay. Now, one thing about you is that uh, comics always talk about, oh, it would be fun to like, get together, we should get people together and, uh, and actually write material. And mm -hmm. it, but comics are usually slackers and nothing really happens. But you actually did that several times. You actually hosted groups several times. What, what, yeah. what, what motivated that? Uh, because, uh, like you said, people, I mean, I don't think it's only comics, people in general, but comics especially are good at blabbing, and I usually follow up words with action, and that goes, <laughs> <laughs> that's my Russian side or my personality, but uh, if somebody says, let's get together and write jokes, I'm like, sure, which day is good for you, so then I actually take, you know, the next step to make it happen. So, and then it was always convenient since I always lived very central, so it was easy to invite people over at my place. Mm. So then I didn't think it's a huge deal. Just like, yeah, sure, you want to write jokes, come over, which day is good. And I think it was really fun and it was very productive. Um, it's always different because some days uh, it was better for some people, some days better for other people. It's never like one session is good for everybody. But if we meet often enough, then I think it worked out for everybody. Or what do you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was there several times. And hmm. I enjoyed it. I got some good ideas out of it. Yeah, and also, like you said, it's always fun to hang out with comics, even though we spend time usually after the shows. But after the shows, some people meet around home to their families, and uh, some people just want to drink. So it was, I think it was also fun just to actually write jokes and talk like, uh, I don't know, during the joke writing sessions, not only for a drink after the show. Hmm. And of course, we're living during the Corona times, so there hasn't been much socializing or hanging out or really performing either. When's, when's the last time you performed? Um, it was in October, so I didn't perform since Corona started. So from March till October, I didn't perform at all, and that was the longest break. And uh, then it opened up again, and Jonathan asked me to perform at the Laugh House twice. And the first time I was so nervous, I didn't want to say to anybody that I'm performing, because I'm like, this is the longest break, I'm probably going to suck. But it went really well, and uh, I forgot how good it feels to perform stand-up. So I'm like, yay, I should get into comedy now, and then more restrictions and nothing since, yeah. If there hadn't been any restrictions, do you feel like by this point you would have, do you think you would have been performed more often, or would you more at the same pace mm -hmm. uh, it would probably be the same pace maybe not once a month because the cafe requires a bit less time now a bit less energy so I have a bit more time but since as you also know I wrote the book that I'm now trying to sell so then um, yeah it seems like I always find a project for myself so it's not one thing it's another first it was stand-up then it was cafe now I was, I was writing the book and now I'm trying to sell it so then um, if I have free time, then I would be writing jokes. But now my free time is spent on uh, polishing the book, sending it to agents, and uh, doing the cover letters and all that. 
So once this is done, I think I would go back to performing more often, granted that clubs are actually open. Yeah. And if you don't find some other project. And if I don't find some other project, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, I like stand-up, but um, you probably heard it from a lot of comics that you interviewed before me and a lot of comics that you're going to interview after me. Once you reach a certain level, then um, you... um, yeah, it doesn't become your priority anymore because uh, if you have some other projects that go forward, you go with them mm. rather than going all into the stand-up because they need, I mean, as humans, we always need an incentive. What's there for me? So it feels good, sure, but it also feels good to write a book. It feels good, I don't know, to run a marathon. Mm. And so unless you see some goal, then it's going to be on your back burner. Did you have that ambition from the start? Like, did you feel... When, from the very beginning, did you feel like, okay, someday I'm going to be at this place, I'm going to be in movies, or I'm going to be on TV or radio, or I'm going to do hour-long sets? Well, I would say it was um, a bit of a, um, both, because when I started, I really didn't know anything about stand-up, so it was a surprise that I actually can do this, <laughs> and then once I learned I can do this, then I was like, I'll just do it a few more times and then I didn't know anything about like for instance comedy scene in Stockholm because I remember our conversation the first time they asked me to perform at Oslipat and I asked you Ryan what's Oslipat and you were like are you kidding me I got so angry <laughs> like I was trying to pull my leg this is like one of the best clubs I used to like trying to play cool I'm like no honestly I don't know what's Oslipat <laughs> so um yeah, so at that point, at first it was fun, and then once I started to get some recognition, then I was like, oh, maybe I'll try to take it as far as I can. Maybe I can be on the TV, maybe I can do, you know, my own program, but then I came to the conclusion that I actually can't. Like I said, I'm good enough to perform, not good enough to be a, a star, so to say. And that makes it not worthwhile work? It makes it worthwhile. I think uh, every show that I did, I'm happy with and I will do again. And just like I said, it's just not a priority. If there is something else, if there is, and even if I have 10 other things, I would still do stand up once a month because I love it and I think it feels good to go on stage, but I won't do it more often if I have other things to do. Does it, reaching this point, like realizing you reach this point, you feel like you're not going to progress past it, does that make it less fun to perform? Um, a bit, I don't think it makes it less fun because one of the reasons I got into stand-up because I love to make people laugh and you still have it with its show. So every show I do and I see like smiles on people's faces and they laugh and they forget everything, I think this makes it worth it. So in that way, uh, it's still worth it. But in terms of like a feeling of accomplishment, then no, because it's just another gig. It's not something that advances you in your career. Hmm. Is there anything, anything you miss from the, from the days when you were very active? Yes, I do. Because um, in a way, I mean, that's the part that's uh, not good with the cafe because I miss like road trips, for instance, that we did to Gothenburg or to Malmö, where you just like hang out with comics in a car and then you go in some town that you've never been to. And uh, yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. Um, but as far as doing stand-up very often, like I said, I don't see a huge difference because most people like stand-ups that I'm friends with, I still see outside of stand-up, like I see you and mm. we had the writing sessions and we had social events, so in that way it's fine. Is there anything about the grind that you don't miss? 
Um, yeah, because I mean, once uh, when you're pushing yourself to be the best, then every show is a pressure. And then once you take away that pressure from you, okay, I reached the level that I think I can reach, then there is no pressure anymore because then each show is just fun. Mm. Um, there, though, uh, there's still a bit of pressure because there are always people who want to see you stand up. And I had it with a cafe, like uh, because some customers, either I told them or they knew from other people that I do stand up. And then they wanted to come and see me perform. And I still remember one guy who was regular in the cafe, still is actually, but he was crazy about the food and then he came to see me at the show with Big Ben and I actually had a bad show and as you know okay. it happens but then he came to me and he said yeah you're very good in the kitchen <laughs> so then he, and I was like uh, yeah this is not a good feeling so I like to have I like not to have pressure of performing well like when I do stand up I don't want to tell people about it and you know like um all the club owners always want us to post on social media, but then I feel the pressure because if I post it on social media, then customers come or friends come, and then I need to be at the, the top of my game. And at this point, I just want to have fun. Like right. whether it goes good or not, I don't want to care. So you miss that, okay? Yeah. So I don't miss the pressure to be the best of the best. Yeah. What What do you think we have to change for you to be like to, to come in like devote yourself to it full time? Like what What would what would change? What would have to change for that to happen? Um, we should have more possibilities because when I was in London, and then I thought if I lived in London, I would probably would continue with stand up full time because for people like on your level and my level, like we are good enough to perform, we are not stars. Uh, for us, there is no place in Sweden whatsoever. It will never pay. It will never be a career. But in London, I saw many people on our level that actually made a living out of it because there are so many clubs, the clubs to perform because they pay you well. And I was like, if I was in London, I would probably do it full time. But in Sweden, um, especially for English speaking comics, um, I don't think there are any options. Yeah. But it's remarkable how many options we actually have concerning the Yeah, I mean, size. we have options to perform. We just don't have options to get paid for it. Yeah, there's, there's really not much of an uh, industry. If you're not on TV, you don't really exist, and there's not really a lot of. There's so few comics who go on TV or movies, even. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true as well. Because I also saw that in England, that um, it's a lot more comics. It's a lot more common for comics to go on TV, to go on radio. They don't need to be stars. But um, in Sweden, very, very few people manage to do that. So yeah, put me on the TV and um, <laughs> I will do it all the time. The, wack, the wacky, na wacky neighbor, the, the yes. Russian neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've been all over the world. So is this, are you finally settled? Is this the place you're going to stay? Yes, I'm not planning on moving. Who will run? Who will be running my Russian cafe? <laughs> Any plans to expand your territory? Mm -hmm. Get more breathing room? Uh, no, because that's another thing. I don't really understand how people get rich from anything. It seems like anything that I do is just uh, yeah, a lot of time and not much profit because Sweden is so high on taxes. So then we're doing well, but as soon as I stop working, then I need to hire another person to replace me and the taxes for workers in Sweden are crazy. So then essentially, if somebody replaces me, then all the income gonna go to pay that person and then there will be no money left for me again. Hmm. So yeah, so that's a bit of a tricky part. Now that they enjoyed the original footage, yes. 
We're and, back. And now we're back. Uh, so I want to explain the reason why I was here for the second time. Uh, I was because not because you can get it right the first time. Exactly. I was not happy with my own performance in the uh, last last podcast. You were fine. There was nothing, I had nothing there, but I was I felt a bit off. I so have, I really hope that you're in your top shape today because I'm I'm I'd rather not shape. do it the third time. <laughs> I'm in much better shape now. Uh, I was not in good shape the last time for two reasons. One was my fault and one may have been your fault, actually. Really? Yes. What have I done? Okay, we'll get that. So the first reason is because uh, when we first sat down, it was still during my period when I was not working and I was on my couch for a year doing absolutely nothing. I had, it was my couch, gym, grocery store, home. And I lived like that for a long time. And I knew that if I did anything more than that, I would end up exhausted by the end of the day. So knowing this, I still planned to come to Stockholm and record two episodes. What a hero you are. <laughs> so I was, by the time I got to you. What you a the, hardship. <laughs> <laughs> you were the second. To sit on the train to come to Stockholm. I know. For like, four like, minutes I guess, like I said, Pista. it was just it's impre- seeing people. And I'm was, impressed. Yeah. yeah. Not but, anybody would do it, but you pulled <laughs> so it off. I, right? I pulled it, well, I kind of pulled it off. Kind of, because yeah. since you were the second interview I did that day, I just was feeling it just like worn out when we were when we were I talking. I thought that was a usual self, but uh... no, just then. I'm, oh, much, okay. I'm much more energetic now. The I can tell it by the you know by your calm voice and uh, everything else, but I guess there is a huge difference because now you're just <laughs> bubbling with energy and uh, bursting through the walls and everything. I hope so. Okay, if you say so. Well, the second reason was because. Uh, midway, midway, 10 minutes into the recording, the last time, um, I started getting really, this is not very classy, I know, but it's the truth. I started getting really gassy, and I didn't want to... F- I didn't smell anything. Thank no, you, no, Ryan. No, You're such I, a gentleman. Because I held it in, because I didn't want to fart on the pod in your apartment in front of you, so I, I held it in. So because I held it in, then my stomach was just like bubbling, because I was farting on the inside. Oof, I feel really bad for you, and I'm so grateful that you didn't <laughs> subject me to... <laughs> I know, but I was already distracted because I'm kind because of, you were talking, listening to you while you're talking. Meanwhile, I can hear my own in, insides, which sound really loud hear to me. Anything. Good, but I was like worried. But does she hear this? Does the microphone hear this? No, no, no. Your intestines were very so, quiet. Yeah, so yeah. I was very distracted by that. Uh, the, the thing is, and this could be a coincidence, but the thing is, uh, I had just enjoyed some food in your great cafe just before the the pod. You're just not you, used to good food, so that's why that, you can cope with that it. That must that must be it. I, I don't want to blame the food. Uh, no. The food is great. So you should definitely get it. Uh, but uh, maybe if you get the dumplings, you may not want to record a podcast right after. Just you're the first safe. person who had this reaction. Okay. But it's maybe just because you're an American, so for Russian food to digest, yeah, exactly. it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard. On it's, you. it's growing up during the peak of the Cold War. I just want to reject yeah. everything Russian. Let's say no. But there's a few things that I feel like I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't get to in the the last session. So I just want to supplement this with a few more questions. Uh, one of the things is your faith. Because you are a Christian, which is extremely like unique. We live in a very secular country in, in, in Sweden. I think I've met two Christians in my entire time here. I'm just curious how that how it feels to be a Christian in a very secular country. Well, I feel that I never, I'm never the right. I don't know how to put it like I can't get it right when it comes to religion because I lived in the States before and uh, as an American you know that most Americans are quite religious and there I was not religious enough because I don't do (laughs) fasting I don't go to the church it just I think faith is something personal that you have to yourself so in US I was not religious enough but then I came to Sweden I'm over religious because I actually believe in God (laughs) 
so it feels like I can never get it right. But uh, I don't really care about religion. I think anybody can have a set of beliefs and whether it's religious or cultural, it's up to you. And if you believe in Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha, as long as you're a nice person, I like you. If you're a horrible person, I don't care if you're a Christian or atheist. So uh, to me, it doesn't really make any difference whatsoever. It's uh, the same as... Uh, I wouldn't even say like voting because political parties can be very nasty. So religion is something, it's up to you. You can make it bad, you can make it good, you can make it nothing, it's up to you. So to me, it's nothing really that important when, I, when it comes to other people. Does it affect your stamp in any way? No, it doesn't. I mean, why would it? It's not against Christianity to do stand up. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> no. I try to be a good person, but uh, I think it's uh, most of us try to be. But uh, don't steal, don't lie. Yeah, that sounds good enough. So I don't lie in my stand-up. Very direct that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons why I asked about your faith, if it informs your uh, performances at all, is because like when, when people complain about female comics, and again, this is not a complaint that is justified, it's just one of the complaints that people, people say, that they say like, oh, like women, women comics, all they do is they just talk about sex, 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 sex. But I definitely can't say that about you at all, because that's not something that you talk about on stage or off. Not really, but uh, it has nothing to do with the religion, because I usually, since you saw my stand-up many, many times, you know that it's mostly about cultures and uh, observational comedy. So just sex is not something that fits my style or fits the style of humor that I do. And so I don't have anything against sex jokes. I can laugh at the great sex joke, but uh, it's not the kind of comic that I am because I'm not a physical comic. I'm not, uh, I don't know, like a uh, more crude kind of comic. I go for more observational style and more irony I guess and as you know sex and irony don't really go well together so <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason I don't talk about sex no I actually find it refreshing because I think most comics and for myself and here too are a little too willing to talk about sex uh, on stage mm. yeah and to be honest it gets a bit repetitive when uh, like people talk about sex 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 and actually I heard it from some audience members as well because it's nice to break it up with different styles and uh, if you have a show where five people just talk about sex and then uh, I come out and talk about like Swedish culture they're like oh thank you that was so refreshing because we got so tired of the sex jokes that were coming up all the time so somebody has to do it you know somebody has to talk about sex that's you Ryan and uh, <laughs> somebody has to talk about cultures and that's me and I do want to point out too just for anyone that's listening uh, I can see how this might look that I have a woman on the podcast and go right into sex but the reason I'm asking is because it is I think it is I guess it's unusual for, for a comic too like there's, there's not many comics that do shy, shy away from itself completely yeah and like uh, I always said before that I don't really care if you're a female comic or a male comic it just should be funny and good at what you do so then uh, if you ask the guys about sex, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't ask me the same question because I think we are professionals who do our thing and then uh, it's absolutely no reason to not ask me some questions or to be, you know, iffy about it just because I'm a woman. Okay. We're an equal country, so it's totally okay. <laughs> Good. 
And with that in mind, I want to ask you uh, a question that I w would prefer I didn't have to ask, but I think it's important. Because I would never, if I was talking to a, a man, and I have talked to men on this podcast, I'd never ask them, so how does it feel to be a man uh, in, in comedy? But I think it's, I think it's a justified question for, for you, for, for women, how it feels for you. There, of course, there's a, a lot of discussion about women in comedy that are underrepresented and don't feel comfortable or feel shut out. What has what your experience been like? Uh, my experience has been uh, good and uh, I don't... Um, I know that there are a lot less women in comedy and I can't really pinpoint the reason why there are less women because as soon as I started with stand-up and I wanted to get, uh, to get stage time, I got stage time, so it's... Uh, I never experienced any kind of uh, discrimination or any kind of, oh, because you're a woman, you cannot do this. Uh, what annoyed me is that when they segregated women in a separate show, because it feels like, uh, oh, there's all female show. And I was like, but there's no all male show. So I feel mm -hmm. like uh, all monkeys can dance too. So I see no reason why there should be all female shows just uh, to show that we represent women comics. And I don't like when, um, club owners say uh, but we need to have a certain quota of women for show because then I feel that I've been chosen not for my stand-up just for my sex and that I don't like at all I want people to choose me based on my show not based on other factors because I'm a woman or because I'm from Russia or because I have brown hair or whatever mm -hmm. I think it has nothing to do with comedy so no I didn't experience anything so bad when it comes to that like I said when I wanted to perform six times a week i performed six times a week when i wanted to perform 10 times a week i got the stage time and then uh, i couldn't get to good clubs when i was bad but i could get to good, um, good clubs when i became better so i'd like to think it's due to me becoming better not because they wanted to represent female comics or because i look pretty that day or something like that and so yeah like i said i absolutely don't agree with segregation and comedy that it should be female shows or females should have that spot or this spot it's a show and we're all doing the same thing so there's absolutely no reason to separate it but for you that was how it was getting gigs how did it feel for you actually being in the clubs themselves um it felt fine so like i said i didn't experience any kind of uh, somebody's looking down on me because but maybe it also comes down to my personality because um um, I like hearing other people's feedback and I never take it personally. And so especially when I started, since obviously I was new, and then a lot of people gave me advice like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And I was actually grateful for it because uh, sometimes I would take it. I was like, yeah, you're right. I, sh I should do more of that. And sometimes like, no, it doesn't fit my style. I'm not going to do it. But I still took it as a constructive feedback. But I heard from other female comics that they saw it as uh, disrespectful just because they were women and uh, men, uh, because it's mostly men in comedy. Uh, they saw it as patronizing if a man told them, like, you should do this and that. But I never saw it that way. I saw it more like an advice to a newbie, to a rookie. So then, like I said, I never took it personal. I thought it was constructive feedback, which sometimes I used, sometimes I didn't. Yeah, it actually happens so much as a bit of a cliche, like the, the male, the, the uh, man uh, wanting to give advice to the, the women, mm. which is why, because I, I love giving feedback also. Again, maybe a little too eager to give feedback at, at times, but just with, with women, because it is such a cliche, I always ask someone, 
do you mind? Would you mind a little feedback or an idea? I'll ask them first. Mm. But I also realized just asking them that puts them in the position of it's, it's it's still me offering it when they didn't ask for it in the first place. Yeah, I guess it depends on your personality because I love feedback. I always did, so I always appreciate it. But if you are somebody who feels maybe a bit insecure, doesn't want feedback, then then you might see it as patronizing. But since I was always the only one like, yeah, yeah, tell me more, tell me more, then uh, then it was never a problem for myself, at least. How competitive are you as a, as a comic? So when you're, you're, in the, you're in the peak of your grind hmm. and you're looking for spots and clubs, how competitive uh, would you say you are? Well, uh, I wanted to get at least to the same level as other comics who started roughly around the same time and had the same level of experience. Because if somebody who's been doing comedy a lot longer or at a lot uh, more intense level got better gigs, then I couldn't hold it against them. It's like, hey, they worked harder or they worked longer, so it's totally fine. But uh, as a comic, you probably know that uh, you have this little voice, like nagging voice inside you when somebody at your level gets a better gig. And it's like, but why did they get them? Why it's not me? And so, yeah, of course, I'm competitive when it comes to that. But uh, it only happened when I was doing comedy a lot. So when I step back from it a bit, then it's uh, obviously now I cannot blame people getting, you know, higher when I don't do it as much myself. Hmm. One thing a lot of comics go through, I went through this myself, is in the very beginning when you actually start, and you're just so like, oh my god, this is amazing, I'm, I'm here, and really nervous, and everyone, all the other comics, you're thinking like, wow, like they're, they're veterans, they've been doing this forever. Uh, that go, that kind of like nice feeling goes away after maybe about six months in. I, I don't know if you felt, felt this, but uh, I felt myself that suddenly I was thinking like, uh, like oh, I'm familiar to that person, why, why are they... Why are they performing there when I'm not performing there? And just almost like an angry, like an angry edge. Did you, mm. did you go, go through that? No, because I was quite happy with the way my career progressed because um, I did get to perform at all the clubs in Stockholm, all the top clubs except for Nora Brun. And Nora Brun, I was told they don't take English comics, which I could see that was true because uh, apart from our feature, and uh, maybe Yemi was there once. Yeah, I think if there are a few times. Then, yeah, yeah then but not, not that yeah. often, yeah. So I could see, yeah, that is the truth. They don't take English comics. Since I do comedy in English, uh, that's maybe the reason why they don't want to have me. But apart from Nora Brun, I performed in every other club. I was at Sleepit, I was at Raw, I was, uh, yeah, everywhere else. So then every milestone that I set for myself, I actually fulfilled. So then I was not that bitter. That uh, There was no reason to be bitter. That's so, nice. Yeah. It's nice. But also, as you know, comedy doesn't pay that much. So, I mean, if it was a Korean, like, uh, I think it would be different if somebody got paid, like, double the amount and like, but why am I not getting paid? But since comedy doesn't pay that much, so it's more just the level of prestige, but it's nothing that comes with the, like, monetary reward, really. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover. Anything new you want to add? Uh, no, I think we covered so much last time <laughs> <laughs> and covered even more today. So, yeah, I think I'm happy. Great. Yeah. Then we'll wrap things up by going back to the original footage for our War Story Exchange. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Ryan. Um, I hope you feel as good as when you, when you started this podcast. <laughs> I do. <laughs> no bubbling. No bubbling. Yeah. Good. So you can handle the train back to Canusta. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good.
So to wrap things up, uh, I like to end each podcast with an exchange of war stories. That's one thing I really miss from hanging out with the comics is telling each other stories on the road. The good, the bad, the horrible, the fantastic. So I guess you prepare a story and I'll go first with mine. You go first. Go ahead. So this this will be a not very happy story. Uh, this is my story about uh, my time in Berlin. My, my first time I was going to Berlin for work. And so I was going there for work. I decided to do it bit of a stamp as well for, for fun. And I booked myself a, at a, a club in a very ultra hipster section of, of the city. A uh, very ultra hipster crowd. And it was a mix of stand up and spoken word. And what? Spoken word. So it was like slam poetry uh-huh. and also stand up. So it was, it was a lot of us on that night. It's a long intro to that war story. No, but it's important, it's important to know this because I really should have read the room better. So now you're looking for excuses. Of why it, what happens? Oh, yeah, what yeah, happens? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Excuse me. It yeah, absolutely was not me. It was definitely the room. Now, of course, it was me because I should have read the room better and realized, and my material that I had in mind was not going to do very well in this room. But I had in mind what I was going to do. And the comic before me was non comic, it was a, a slam poet. Uh, and she was a lesbian. The reason I know this is because she just kept repeating it over and over on stage. Uh, the, the actual refrain I remember the most was her saying to the crowd, I see how you look at me on the streets, and I know what you think. So, kill me, just kill me. And she wow, said that, nice yeah, over yeah. and over and over again. And then I was next. The audience was in a great mood. Uh, I think they were like, like snapping their fingers. They, they appreciated the the poetry of it. Mm. And then it was me with my wacky humor, and it was gone okay for a while. Uh, but then I started getting a little more like harder material, and I started to lose the room a bit. And what do you mean by hard and material? Just like, like not as like nice, soft. Hey, like airline food is terrible. It was more, I don't remember exactly what it was, but like more political white stuff. Or, no, this is, this is long before white power. Uh, sex jokes. It was sex jokes. And I was getting to my big closer, which I always closed with in Sweden at the time because it always worked. Uh, the punchline, it was a long bit. And the, the ultimate punchline uh, of the bit was me telling women in the room, the reason why you can't find nice guys is because you turned all nice guys into assholes. Like it's, it's like your fault that we're that we're bad. That was the, the punchline, uh, ultimately. And people laughed in Sweden. No, oh, in Sweden they loved it. In, oh. in, in Sweden, I'll get applause for that. I don't one. think I heard you doing that. Uh, this again, this is a very old bit. Uh, since retired it, uh, mostly because of this Berlin experience. So I, so I, I did that joke. They did not like it at all. Just complete silence. And then I just stood there on stage and like, I think I literally said in the microphone, like, oh, like, what do I do now? Like, what, 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 how do I, how, how do I save this? And then some guy in the back of the room just screamed out, get off the stage. It's nice. like, okay. So I did. So I got off stage and I was just feeling humiliated because my colleagues were actually in the room, like right at the front of the stage to see all of this. The host went on and it was immediately like threw me under the bus, just like, oh, like, sorry for that chauvinist stuff. So I was just feeling really absolute shit. And then it was time for another comic to come on stage. And that comic, I love this guy to death because he just leapt to my defense. He just went on stage, just immediately just screamed to the room like, who said that? Like, who the fuck said that? Like, don't you know who we are? We are desperate people. We are high on cocaine. We will fuck you up. I love <laughs> it. Was it a love... comic? Or... No, actually, uh, it's about Johnny Armstrong. He was, a, he was a Brit expat living in Berlin. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's since become sort of a big deal, actually, uh, in Germany because he started performing uh, in German. Okay. So I love the guy. Jeff. He actually came and visited uh, Sweden a couple of years ago and performed at uh, my club. I haven't so, seen him. Yeah, really, really good guy. So. 
Yeah. That's, that's my worst. Though. That was the time I was booed off the stage. So. Well, it sounded um, worse before you told the story. So I thought you actually got booed out in the middle of your set. <laughs> but you already finished <laughs> no, your set, so it didn't really make that much of a, dif a difference. They were just trying to help you out to get off the stage. It was so <laughs> bad. It was, it was so yeah, bad experience. <laughs> Technically, you were not booed off the stage. You already finished your set. <laughs> So not too bad. Uh, no, my war story is actually my second gig because I was going on and on about how great my first gig was mm -hmm. and how I was determined to be a stand-up after my first gig. And I was like, yeah, I'm a genius. I know how to do it. I'm a natural. And then um, the second gig was at Mafia in Underbara Bar, mm -hmm. remember? Yeah. So yeah, and uh, considering how great the first gig was, I was sure that this one going to be at least good. And uh, it was Mafia, it was Saturday night, it was um, all the guys that performed before me. So I was, uh, I think, I don't know if that makes any difference, but you went into a long intro as well. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so the room actually was full of young girls. And I still remember that there was a group of young girls sitting in front of the stage. And um, they, were laugh they were laughing hysterically at every guy who performed before me. And then I go on stage and then just immediately they sat like this with arms crossed. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is not a good start. And then um, if, um, if I was performing more, then um, I would have more jokes that probably work, would work on those girls. But at that point, I just had one joke, the same joke that I told at Big Ben. And that's a joke about me walking in the street and the guy finding me so pretty. And then it goes, you know into him being actually Hungarian and hating Russians, but uh, the catch of the story is that he found me pretty. And as soon as I said that, and I just saw that, oh, the guy walked on the street, the guy told me I'm beautiful, then the girl's expressions who sat in front of the stage just turned into pure hatred. <laughs> <laughs> and then the punchline that came, they didn't even care, it was like dead silence in the room. And uh, I just walked off the stage, and I just remember like walking home and uh, thinking like, I'm, I'm not good at stand-up or it's not my thing or what am I doing and should I go back on the stage because it actually felt horrible, really horrible. <laughs> uh, and it was complete opposite of my first gig when everybody laughed and I felt like it felt so good and the second gig was dead silence, those girls hated me and I was like, nah, this is not going well and I'm not sure if I want to continue. <laughs> So yeah, that was their first war story, and then I can tell another war story if you want. Sure, sure, go for it. Yeah, since we talked about road trips, and um, <clears throat> I was performing in one small, small town outside of Stockholm, and then uh, I did so well there that they asked me to be a headliner, and I was like, yeah, sure, and mm -hmm. I was also quite new, so I think it was actually the first time somebody asked me to be a headliner, so I was super excited. And it went really well there for me the first time. But what I didn't realize, it was a small town um, and uh, they start drinking heavily from seven o'clock on the Friday. And uh, the headliner goes on stage last, which is 11 o'clock at night or whatever time it was, 10 o'clock at night. So the reason I did so well the first time, because I was a rookie, I performed in the first half when they were sober. Uh, when I went on the stage as a headliner, everybody was completely drunk. So like two minutes into my set, one guy just screams, I need to pee. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, runs outside and the club opened just in the street. So with the door open, he starts peeing right outside of the door. <laughs> and nobody hears a word I'm saying because they're so drunk. They're just like loudly talking to each other and screaming for beer and somebody needs the toilet. And I was like, wow, this is <laughs> not a good headlining experience at all. <laughs> but you made it. You, I made it. You I made stood it. on that stage, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it was fun, no.
Well, that was a headline. I think that was my first headline in Geek. But those are the stories you remember. It's, the, it's you, re- you rarely remember the ones that they go even really well. It's, it's the one. It's the ones that are terrible. The ones, those ones that stick. You're actually right because you asked me to remember both good and bad stories, and uh, I had no trouble remembering bad ones. I can tell you more if you want, yeah. but uh, <laughs> the good ones, I mean, you remember the feeling, like uh, it felt good, but you don't remember the details, and there is not much m- more to say, like it was a great gig. But uh, there is an element of surprise because when we roasted you, remember at the green bar, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of my favorite gigs because also it was complete surprise when we were telling your jokes and uh, I just had so much fun doing it and the audience loved it and the funny thing is that uh, even though in the joke I'm an American man didn't connect the dots and they came to me after the show congratulated me on the great jokes <laughs> <laughs> and just, so, just to do, explain to people people don't know so there was a night that I, I got surprised with a roast where all the comics on stage all did my material uh, which was really fun for me to watch that, I think that was actually my favorite time seeing you perform not because it was my material, which you know, I because it was your material. Yeah, I sat there like thinking, man, I like okay, they're getting laughs, but I'd be doing much better with my own with my, <laughs> with my own jokes. No, it wasn't that it, you were having so much fun. Like that was like the loosest I ever saw, saw you on stage. Like you, like you were really in, enjoying it. So that was that was fun to see. Yeah. So that was my one of my favorite gigs as well. We should roast you more often. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, your birthday's coming up in May. Maybe they'll open the clubs until by then. then. Yeah, if we're all vaccinated by May. I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, we'll all be vaccinated and roasting you again. Hopefully. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs>